Welcome to the For the City podcast. I'm Andrea Fremont. Today we are continuing our series Restless for the City with our final episode, episode four. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, you should go check those out first. Drew's webinar is coming up next week on Wednesday, December 8th. So this is your last opportunity to sign up. You can sign up at forthecity.org forward slash webinar. Okay, now on to episode four with Drew Dodson. Well, all right, here we are in our fourth uh, podcast of this uh, series. Uh, And what I want to do today is talk particularly about the domain of our community of practice. I introduced those ideas to you last time. Uh, Community of practice is that group of people zealous about a particular area of knowledge, of concern, and issue. It's their domain. And, of course, this this whole uh, For the City uh, community has gathered around. You gave us your email all those months ago because you're concerned about the welfare of your city, uh, meeting urgent needs, loving your neighbor. Uh, Some of you are church leaders and you're interested in helping your church do better. Some of you were just uh, followers of Jesus who wanted to do better and join in an effort to uh, bless your city, to love your neighbor. So uh, communities of practice, uh, there's three things. There's a community, there's a a practices, practice that's shared, a body of knowledge, and then there's a domain. What is it that we're concerned about? What I want to tackle is the domain, this idea of serving the marginalized, this idea of blessing our city, of, as Jeremiah the prophet said, seeking the welfare of our city. And I'll do that from the little letter of Titus today as well as some other places. This will not be like a long Bible study, but I do want to talk about Titus. I love the little letter of Titus. It takes up maybe a page, maybe two pages in your Bible, and it gets right to the point. And the whole second half of the letter, he addresses this domain that we're talking about, this issue of good works that meet the urgent needs of your neighbor, of the community. Just He directly spends the whole second half of the letter talking about it. So we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in just a moment, about this idea of meeting urgent needs. Uh, I want to mention uh, something I heard a few months ago listening to a podcast, uh, an interview, actually, Someone was interviewing Dr. Tim Keller, and you almost certainly know Tim Keller or heard his name, uh, leader and pastor, Church of the Redeemer, New York City, uh, uh, author. Anything that Tim Keller says or does is worth a listen. You may or may not agree with him all the time, but he is sound as they come, biblically rooted, a, theo- a working theologian, and quite the leader of a gospel movement in Manhattan and in the broader New York City area these last decades, and a real spokesman for American Christianity, a a voice of reason and sanity, and yet doesn't back up a bit from from his scriptural convictions. Well, he was being interviewed about the state of the church in America, some of the things we talked about uh, in a previous episode, some of the bad news that we're all hearing and seeing and feeling. And here's what uh, Dr. Keller, here's what Pastor Tim Keller had to say. He said, I think it's a time for a different and a new kind of apologetics. Now, some of you may not know that term. That's a technical term in preacher world. Apologetics means defending the faith. It means addressing the the objections of people who don't believe and trying to prove or trying to show that Christianity holds together, uh, that it's logical. Uh, Back in the day, there there were books and books and courses on how to defend the faith. All that stuff was called apologetics. And uh, guys as old as me and as old as uh, Pastor Keller 
we were schooled in some of that back when we went to a seminary, to famous preacher school. Well, he, was, he just made the comment, we need a whole new and different kind of apologetics now to demonstrate the validity and the truthfulness of our faith. And he said, we now need emotional apologetics. Emotional apologetics. And of course, the interviewer asked, same thing I would have asked, well, what does that mean? I've never heard that phrase, emotional apologetics. And he said this, it means, this is paraphrasing, but uh, the interview is out there. He said, we need to live in such a way. We need to conduct ourselves in such a way. We need to love our neighbor in such a way. We need to seek the welfare, the good, the shalom of our cities in such a way that they wish our doctrines were true, that they, our neighbor wishes, he would wish that our gospel is true. He expanded on it a little bit. Not that they would immediately think it's true. They may still think that we Christians believe some really weird things. A dead man comes back to life, something called the Holy Spirit, we, a virgin birth, I mean, for crying out loud, it's not even scientific, blah, blah, blah. They may still think that we Christians believe a lot of hard-to-believe things, a lot of what we call doctrines. But Keller's point was that we should be living and loving in such a way that in spite of someone's objections to our weird beliefs, they might even say to themselves, I got to tell you, because of how they live, how they loved me, how they loved my children, how they loved my neighbor, what they did for our city, I wish all those weird doctrines were true because I sure like how they live. I sure like how they love our city. I sure like how they loved me and my family or my neighborhood. So I'm still not convinced about all that virgin birth stuff and someone coming back from the dead, but I got to tell you, I wish it was true because I sure do like how they live. That, Keller says, is emotional apologetics. That's what we're getting at with for the city. That's why I think you gave us your email address some time back, is that somewhere in your, your heart stirs for that too, not to set out to prove and uh, force everyone to become a Christian as if you could even do such a thing. But if we are followers of Christ and we love him and we love his message, if for all of its faults we still love his church, then don't we wish for a day when our neighbors could say, golly, I, I'll tell you one thing, I love how they live. I love how they love. I got to give those weird Christians that much. Well, it turns out that's the burden of this idea of communities of practice. It turns out that's actually the burden of Paul's little letter to, to Titus about the churches on the ancient island of Crete. And we won't do a Bible study right now, but let me mention this, these things to you. Uh, Titus is a team member of Paul's missionary team, his apostolic team. Paul and his team planted a bunch of churches on this island of Crete. Paul does not have a high view of the culture on the island of Crete. He says it's full of false teachers, worthless people, a bunch of lazy gluttons. He doesn't like the culture, but they planted a bunch of churches on the island. Paul moved on and left Titus behind to solidify leadership, to teach the churches. So he writes this little letter to his team member, Titus, to tell him how to go about strengthening those churches, helping them get strong because they're brand new churches. 
And the uh, first half of the letter is great. It's about uh, elders and apostolic leaders. And then he starts talking about life inside the church, uh, older Christians and how they should mentor the younger Christians and how everybody should be paying attention to the lives they're living. But then about halfway through the letter, he, he uh, changes the focus of this letter, these instructions to Titus. And basically he says, Titus, now here's what I want you to teach these brand new churches. Living on an island where it's not like a, Christian culture, not even a long shot. They're lazy, they're gluttons, it's a bad culture. There's all kinds of weird religion and false religion, false teachers. But here's what I want you to teach the churches. And right in the middle of the letter, he reminds Titus of Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for us. And he says something that I'm not sure it's said anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, you know, when Paul and other apostles talk about what Jesus accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, it's like a diamond. There's many facets to it. It means a lot of things. But here's what Paul highlights. He says this. He says, He, Jesus, gave himself for us so that he could ransom us from all lawless actions. And here's the kicker. Here's the point. And purify for himself a people as his very own who would be zealous, eager for good works. What did he, what did he just say there at the end of chapter 2 of Titus? He said, here's one of the reasons Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. One of the reasons he came, one of the reasons he did what he did as Jesus of Nazareth was to win for himself a people, ransom them, he says. A people, what kind of people? Well, he says, a people who are eager, zealous for good works. Paul seems to think that if you understand what Jesus accomplished for you, you the good work that he did on your behalf, you'll be eager to do good works. And he goes on to say that in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is mostly about rehearsing the good work that Jesus did for us. And he makes the claim that we should then be ready to pay it forward, to, in a sense, pay it back, although you can't pay it back to Christ, but at least pay it forward, what he did for us. And he uses several... Uh, Old words to talk about that, but in the middle of kind of rehearsing what Jesus accomplished for us and how we should pay it for it, he says things like, I want these churches on the island of Crete, verses, this is early in, this is chapter, this is chapter three, verse one. I want these churches to be ready for every good work. That's an important phrase, good works. And it means just what it sounds like, doing good stuff for other people, not expecting anything in return, blessing other people, helping other people. Helping them out of their suffering, helping them out of their poverty, helping them out of their disease. Just when you see other human beings who are hurting, good works is when you help them. Pretty straightforward, but he uses it several times. He says again, further in chapter 3, around verse 8, he says, Titus, now I want you to insist on all these things I'm telling you to these new churches who have put their faith in God, who's done so much for us that they may take care to be energetic in good works. Uh, the word actually there is about, it could, you can plot and plan. I want them to put some effort into planning for good works. And then toward the end, as he's wrapping up this little letter to Titus, he says it again. Uh, he says, verse 14 of chapter 3, as he's closing out this little letter to his teammate. All our people, all these churches, all these new Christians, all these new Jesus followers, all these new communities of practice on the island of Crete, all our people must learn to busy themselves with good works. Not busy themselves with gossip, he's already said. 
He doesn't even say busy themselves with other good things. Not busy themselves with running church services. Not busy themselves with running retail Christianity. Not busy themselves with what we might call commercial Christianity, which I did call commercial Christianity. He's very focused. I want these new churches on this crummy island with a really bad culture. Here's how they're going to win a hearing for Jesus and his good news. Here's how they're going to win a hearing for his gospel. Here's how they're going to bless this island of Crete and change it into a culture that actually is good for people. How? They're going to be focused and get zealous and get eager, and they're going to busy themselves with good works so that, and here's the punchline, they may meet any urgent needs that arise and therefore not be unfruitful as Christians, unfruitful as churches, unfruitful as a movement. So what Tim Keller was calling emotional apologetics, uh, the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years before Pastor Keller, <clears throat> calls good works. And he claims that it's actually one of the reasons Jesus came was to ransom for himself a people eager, zealous for good works, to bless other people, to pay it forward. Because Jesus has done so much for us. And if you're listening to me today and you're a follower of Christ and in your heart that, that resonates what Christ has done with you, for you, to you, in you, through you. If you value following him, his spirit, and what that, how that spirit has gifted you and guided you, if your heart resonates with any of that, what the Apostle Paul is saying is pay it forward. Be zealous for good works to meet the urgent needs of others so as not to prove to be unfruitful, or in other translations, so as not to prove to be worthless. This is the vision that the Apostle Paul had for these brand new churches in a very non-Christian culture. It's the same vision that the Spirit of Christ has for us today. It's what we're getting at when we use the phrase community of practice. Because that word church, beep, 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 has so many assumptions behind it. We think we need to get focused on this biblical vision from Titus. For communities of practice that are zealous for good works, that share knowledge on how to be helpful without hurting, that share knowledge on how to actually do charity in a wise way that's not toxic, that we share our best practices on how to be fellow travelers with our neighbors who perhaps are more marginalized than us, who perhaps are poorer than us, who perhaps have a different skin color than us, but not come in as with a God complex, but we come in as fellow citizens of our cities, as fellow citizens perhaps of the kingdom, and we learn together how to bless our city, how to seek the shalom of our city, as Jeremiah said, how to love our neighbor, how to meet urgent needs, so that all of our retail Christianity, all our Sunday morning services, all the money we spend on buildings and air conditioning, and all the things that make up current American forms of the church, won't prove to be fruitless, won't prove to be worthless, but rather we can take all that effort, well-intentioned, all that money, given sacrificially so much of it, and actually make a dent in the darkness, actually push back the kingdom of darkness a little bit, actually participate in the kingdom come and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the vision. And that was Paul's vision 
That's Pastor Tim Keller's vision 2,000 years later. That's our vision here at Ford the City. And we think it's your vision because you've joined in. And uh, we appreciate the feedback that we've already gotten, the early comments that we've heard. We want to hear from you. Uh, what's on your heart about these things I've covered these last uh, four podcasts? What are you seeing that's actually encouraging? Where you're, what are some best practices that you've actually seen implemented, you participated in, or you've seen someone else do? We want to hear about those things. And we want to imagine together. What, just to give it, let's just use our God-given imagination. And what might it look like if businesses began to see themselves as communities of practice for the sake of the poor and the marginalized? What if real traditional Sunday morning retail Christianity churches began to reimagine themselves as communities of practice like Paul was talking about on the island of Crete? And we began to plot and plan and prepare and get really serious and focused on meeting the urgent needs of our neighbor so as not to prove unworthless. What if we could turn this tide of losing credibility in our culture like we are, losing members, especially the younger generations, like we are, because we shifted and turned all of our, our effort and all this money that we spend on retail Christianity, retail religion, and we began to invest it in our neighbor and in our cities. That's our heart. That's our vision. That's our hope. We invite you to join us with that. Thanks for listening. Well, we hope you enjoyed this series. We hope it resonated with you, or maybe it just made you curious. If it did, you should sign up for Drew's webinar at forthecity.org forward slash webinar. The webinar will be presented by For The City, and there's no cost to you to attend. Next week, we won't have a new episode, but on December 14th, we'll have on Juan Pena, who founded a really awesome nonprofit out of Denver, Colorado. He has a really great story, and we can't wait for you to hear all about it.